Welcome to season five, the final season of Been There, Done That, a pandemic survival podcast. In this show, we've been talking to some real life experts on how they've been getting through this time filled with unexpected changes, challenges, and still those darn feelings of helplessness. And those experts are everyday people like you and me. Turns out we have been more than prepared for this moment than we ever would have realized. So let's get started and see what we can relearn one last time. All right. Welcome back. It is February 3rd, 2021. It's still hard for me to say those things like mm-hmm. 2021. Um, I usually take a whole year to remember what year we're in. Um, so it, I might fumble and say 2020, but I actually think that 2020 might be one of those years that I don't want to hold on to for very long. So I think 2021 is going to be uh, the year that I remember what year it is much sooner than any other time in the past. You know, like when we used to write checks. Do you remember we used to write checks? Oh my and God. The date? Yeah. <laughs> I've had landlords. So yes. <laughs> so there it is. All right. Well, anyways, it's early February. It's a new year with the same problems and new problems um, with, you know, old colors on them. And we are joined today for our final interview with Alana. So um, we are talking to um, a fabulous and amazing individual in the heart of New York City. And um, I am, I have just been so excited every time it's our time to talk and check in. It's been a few months since we last did. I want to say you want to let me know what happened in the last few months, but it's an insurrection. It's so many things, but it includes the fact that we are deep now in vaccine moments, right? Where we've got um, people trying to get vaccines and access to vaccines. We've moved tiers across the country for the most part. Um, we're no longer in tier one, which initially was just, um, you know, healthcare professionals and tier two, depending on the state that you're in. This is important to note. Every state has different tiers and different people yep. in different tiers and a different rollout process. And every county and city within a state does, too. There's nothing universal. And in tier two, it could be educators, instructors. It could be seniors. It could be other uh, essential workers outside of the medical um, community, and it could be elders. So right now where we're at in February, there seems to be a big push to get folks 65 and older vaccinated. Um, and, you know, it's it's a bit of a struggle because it also turns out that there are different languages that people speak across the country. There's different access to technology. There's different experience um, with this access to technology. And so we've been talking all year about the disparity and the inequality in the country and how this was just exposing that even worse. And it seems that at this point that we are in with the vaccines and this possible like hope and way out of this, this is the big stumbling block. This disparity is what is in the way of coming out um, of this moment in some way that keeps us all safe because it's unclear who all of us are when we say those kinds of phrases, like Hmm. all of us. So 
Ilana, um, before I pressed uh, record, um, we were talking ever so briefly about my vaccine experience. Um, you know, I got the Moderna vaccine. Um, currently, mm-hmm. right now, there's the Moderna pharmaceutical vaccine. There's the Pfizer pharmaceutical vaccine. There's a third that just came out, this like Johnson & Johnson one um, that doesn't mm-hmm. have quite the same kind of immunity and only requires one shot. And there's potentially another vaccine. But we yes. actually, it might not, it might not have worse immunity because the things that we, it was tested against the new variants and the earlier, the earlier vaccines weren't. And we don't mm. know that the earlier vaccines would um, have as high efficacy against the new, the new variants. So while it's probably the case that Johnson & Johnson's is not as secure as the others, it is unlikely that the disparity is as large as it seems to be. Oh, that's great to know. And then there's a fourth that we're hoping is maybe going to come out as well. That's actually from Russia. So mm-hmm. there's, there's more and more coming out. Um, but in terms of getting them into people's arms, that seems to be where the telltale sign um, is not quite as successful just yet. And so I got my first vaccine uh, three weeks ago today. Um, I get my second vaccine shot for Moderna next Monday. And there's now mm-hmm. these new about what are your symptoms like? If you had these uh, sort of side effects like fever, chills, fatigue, nausea after your first shot, um, there's some, you know, epidemiologists and immunologists who are saying that it's, they're finding that people had side effects after the first shot who may have also had COVID exposure and had COVID earlier on. Um, and some folks who are not getting their side effects until after the second shot um, were, you know, it's unclear what these side effects and the intensity of them are actually, you know, indicating in terms of someone's uh, immune system or possible previous exposure to COVID. That's so, interesting. Let's talk about vaccines. Um, how are, how's, how's it in New York? Because it's pretty intense over here. Oh, it's been terribly managed. Did you know that in New York City, more people have been vaccinated in New York City who do not live in New York City than people of color? What? Yeah. What more does people that mean? have come in from out of the city to be vaccinated who are white some of whom should be because they are medical workers or teachers, some of whom are just bougie and need to stop. And more of them have been vaccinated than people of color in New York. Wait a minute. You mean that you could get a vaccine in a place where you don't live? Yeah. Yeah. People were driving from, you know, from the counties, from the suburbs, just to get into our inadequate local vaccine supply. Um, they opened up, a, there was a, there was one particular site they opened up in Washington Heights, which is, you know, at, at some point, I suppose that in the Heights movie based on the musical will be released. And for everyone who might not know of Washington Heights will finally be aware of it as this wonderful Dominican and, and Puerto Rican community. They opened up a place in the Heights with no Spanish translators, which is uh. like, look, Language access and language justice is a huge problem everywhere, including in New York. However, Mm -hmm. even I would have thought that when putting a place in Washington Heights, there would have been some Spanish access set up. I wouldn't assume it would be adequate, but I would have assumed there would have been some. And the fact that a reporter who went there to cover it ended up translating for all the poor little grandmas all afternoon 
yeah, so that was a whole expose. There was like more journalism on it. And like, they asked the hospital system, like, why, why, like, you have locations there. Your normal locations have Spanish translators. Why doesn't your COVID clinic? Like, um, anyway, so like, it, it's the whole thing has been astonishing. Uh, then, then, because as you know, our governor is Satan. They, they're reopening. They're reopening the restaurants for indoor dining in a limited twenty-five percent capacity, which is crazy pants because you cannot eat with a mask on. Um, and somebody, uh, a journalist at the presser, was like, "So, are you going to put restaurant workers in, you know, tier two or whatever now? Since you're going to do indoor dining?" And he accused them of being cynical and asking a bullshit question. And it was so a legitimate like, question. Oh yeah. It's a legitimate question. Are you going to start protecting restaurant workers since you're going to open up restaurants in person? And the answer was, of course not. We're only going to protect rich white people in the suburbs. What are you talking about? I mean, I just had three elders in my family and my community. I just, you know, played social worker and helped them navigate the online uh, process for getting a vaccine in Southern California. Um, mm-hmm. The majority of these elders are Spanish speakers. All of them have no idea how to download an app. They have cell phones, they have smartphones, but how they get apps and how to use an app? No. When I went to sign them up, the app is only in English. So there was barrier (laughs) two, other than just, you you have to go through an app. It wasn't a phone call or anything like that. Then the third thing is that I was like, it's okay. I can sign you up. And so I'm trying to sign them up and you can't use the same email. It has to be a brand new, unique email for each user. So I had to use every email that I've ever possibly owned um, to sign them up for things. Because they didn't have emails. Mm. No, because they don't have emails. Why would they have emails? They're they're over 65 years old. There's no point for them to have emails. They're retired now. And and so maybe they did have emails, but they don't have access to those emails anymore, right? right? And then on top of that, it wasn't so cut and dry. Then you had to check the application or go online and check every single day yeah. to see like if you had been called up. So it took me three weeks to check every day to see other things. Meanwhile, online, everyone's talking about like, I got my grandma in, I got my dad in, mm-hmm. you know, he's at the senior center we signed up or at the supermarket we signed up. And so basically if you are old and you aren't already connected to like elder services and elder community spaces, you didn't have that help. And so if you've never had help, you weren't getting it for this moment either. And they had to go to Disneyland. I thought it was going to be like my vaccine and other vaccines in California that I have seen where people stay in their car. Oh no. Right. In Disneyland, they had to park at Disneyland and then walk to another location and stand in line to register and stand in line to then get their shots. Now, all these folks in my family have a walker, have canes, have medical issues on top of just being older. Right. That made standing in line for hours. And it just so happens that as soon as I post this online, all these folks start to tell me what it was like for their dads and unique 
all the dads, I'm talking about a bunch of moms, all the dads, oh, this is such an efficient way of doing this. What a great line. What a great system. And all of those dads were able-bodied, didn't require walkers, canes, or anything else in order to stay in that line. But all the moms did, and all the moms had to wait for two to three hours to get their vaccines. And so not even in the same county or in the same space to get your vaccine are people having a shared experience and a similar experience. It seems like every single individual is having an experience based on who they are and the limitations and the structures and the barriers and the challenges that they have day to day is now just exasperated by trying to get a vaccine. Oh yeah. It's, it, they were just they're like, everybody just use a QR code. I'm like, are you hot? like, I am not an expert on health communications and this is obviously racist. Like I do know more than most people about using tech to communicate with low income communities, but like, this is just so obviously racist. It's fucking crazy. Um, you know, and it's, it's, it's the inequity is just, it's just, is, and also like how people are getting it is so dumb. Like I have a friend who is in chemo treatment and also teaches college um, remotely. Mm-hmm. And he's more likely to be able to get the vaccine through the, the fact that he's a professor than through the fact that he's in chemo because he's a young person. Oh, yeah. And oh, I'm yeah. like, you know, some teachers, some professors are like struggling with like they're being expected to be on campus, or whatever. He's not. He's not. So the fact that like the reason he should be able to get this shot is because he has because he has cancer, not because he teaches from home. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah, it, I, he, by the way, he still hasn't gotten the shot either, to be clear. But like he's supposed right. to be able to get it. Like, but it's, right. it's that kind of thing, which is, just makes no sense. It makes no sense but, at all. But then you have these situations where you've got the Chicago teachers, K through 12 teachers yes. saying, we want to go back to work. And you're telling us we have to go back to work, but we won't go unless we get the vaccine. And so there's that fight. Whereas you yeah. have Los Angeles teachers <laughs> are saying, wait, you're making us get a vaccine in order for us to go back to work, I don't want the vaccine. And so you have these moments where not only is there an equity, but there's there's this polarization between like, can you force me to get the vaccine? Can you compel me to take it? And I want it, right? At the same time. Yeah. So you have people who are like, please, when can I get it? I want it right now. And you've got these folks who are getting access to it and are like, yeah, I'll pass. No, I'm not interested in it right now. And here's the caveat. Because this vaccine has not been FDA approved officially, it cannot be mandated. Required, yes. Yes. And so until we get to the point where it has been tested enough, it has been studied enough and it gets the official approval, then we can say you can't come in here and you can't have this job and you can't do this to really force people and compel them to do the right thing to keep us all safe, which Mm -hmm. is to get this vaccine. And so I guess what's so furious to me is that we are so used to being forced to do things in the States, that that's the only way we will do something for someone else. And it reminds me of when you're a kid and like sharing is caring and you want, you want to share with your friends, but early on, sometimes people in your family or folks who are your caretakers have to say, share with so-and-so you have to share. And you're like, I don't want to, but you have to, otherwise I'm taking it away. Like somehow we only do things because we fear our stuff's going to be taken away. Not because we want to give you what we have. Um, 
where are you at with the vaccines? When do you think you're going to get it? At the current rate, I don't think I'm going to be able to get it until the like the end of summer, no joke, because that's how Mm -hmm. fucked up shit is. And I'm not for, for various, very legitimate reasons. I'm not on anybody's list of like people who they're going to give a vaccine to. So the, the, the hilarious part is I think that they're going to start expecting people to be able to go out and do things, even though we won't still be able to, do you know what I mean? Like, right. you know, like, no, I'm not doing anything until I'm vaccinated. Sorry. Now, uh, I also don't have to do, so, you know what I mean? Which is why I'm like, okay, well, I mean, I, the one thing for me is I have a couple medical things I really want to deal with that I'm scared to deal with. And I just, I sure hope that preventative medicine can wait for, you know, because here's the thing that just is the most terrifying thing for me is I know multiple people who, who are, who are, who are senior citizens, but who have gotten sick from the doctor's office. Mm-hmm. So, you know, until we start having like fully, like fully, League, like real N95 PPE, which might actually happen sooner than it it had been because Biden's people are actually saying, no companies, you have to fucking make PPE now. Uh, you know, until like I have a hundred percent guarantee that if I keep a mask on my face, I'm not going to get sick and die. I, I can't do anything. So I'm all like, gee, I hope I don't get cancer in between now and then, whatever. But anyway, you know, I'm under 65. My, my pre-existing conditions are not related to anything with my lungs or whatever, you know, and I'm mm-hmm. not immunocompromised, even though I get sick if you look at me sideways. There's no like medical diagnosis of being immunocompromised. So I'm not going to yeah. be getting, and I work from home. I and mean, this is the bougie privilege part is like, I work from home. I don't live with 50 people. My husband also works from home. Da, 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 da. You know, I do live in an apartment building where I had to not leave my apartment for a while because this delivery guy was in my hallway without a mask on and wouldn't leave. But regardless, I'm at a much, much lower risk than, you know, most people in this country. So, yeah, I don't think I'm going to be getting the fucking shot until summer. And I'm not happy about that. But I'm more unhappy about the fact that people of color in New York are not getting the fucking vaccine. And like the governor is making people go back to work and like die for capitalism. Like that's, that's the worst part of it. Right. Um, I mean, and let's just name this really quick, just so that folks listening or reading this at some point in the future, this is very clear. I want to make sure that this is very clear. The reason why, and Alana, correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. we keep naming this practice or this outcome as being a racist one in nature is because those folks who are working in the grocery stores, on the front lines, making our day-to-day life for those of us who are at home possible are people of color, are black yep. and brown folks. And we're also you know, seen in this last year that this pandemic seems to hit harder black and brown communities, not to the point that they're getting sicker, but that we are dying, dying, that we yeah. get sick and we die. There's something going on. Maybe it's it's the years, the generations of historical racism where we're living in areas of poverty that are closer to talk toxins and different mm-hmm. chemicals that are already causing health harms, but that put all those things together, put racist, you know, at an institutional level, like in generations together, and you get to the place where we're at right now, which is that people of color are dying from this pandemic at higher numbers and are also then 
make sense if we've got this historical racism that is still living itself out with policies and practices and, and cultural norms today, it would make sense then that also the folks who are not getting the vaccine at a pace or wave that they should are also black and brown individuals. And so I want to I want to ask you about this, you know, this uh, big story that's happening at this moment, which is the Soul Cycle instructor. So Soul Cycle oh. <laughs> is this place where you can go to spin classes. And you've got this instructor for, you know, spin classes um, who, you know, basically drove an hour to Staten Island to go get a vaccine. Their name is Stacy Griffith. So Stacy Griffith reads that educators can get a vaccine. And Stacy Griffith says, well, I'm an educator. I'm an instructor. So she signs up for the vaccine and goes and gets it. She gets on Instagram and she's like, super excited. She feels like she's playing her part to tell people like, look, I got the vaccine. I'm okay. Everyone else should get the vaccine. And instead everyone's like, wait a minute, Stacy, Stacy Griffith, this like, you know, blonde, blue eyed, you know, like yeah. white woman who's clearly healthy because she's the instructor for Soul Cycle. Like, why are you getting it? Like, do you really count as an educator? And she's like, wait, why am I getting the criticism? It said educators, anyone could sign up. And I did. So why am I in trouble? Well, part of the reason, right, is that many educators who are K through 12 educators in New York were signing up to get the vaccine and there was a shortage and mm -hmm. so not all of the teachers in the New York school district were able to get the vaccine when it yeah. was their turn as well because of Stacy Griffins and the like who claim to be educators when they're instructors and not in the K through 12 system in, in New York. And so it's, it's complicated because I'm on, I, I stand behind both of them. I'm happy that anybody's getting the vaccine who wants it. And I'm also frustrated and upset that there are people who are supposed to be getting them right now. And there are other folks who are getting them for other reasons. You know, it's not like, mm -hmm. I think it would be different. What do you think, Alana? Would it be different if you knew that um, this will uh, soul cycle instructor Stacy Griffith had an underlying compromised immune system condition. Like if she was also yeah, sick, actually, would that make a difference? It would because the way that they have deprioritized people with medical problems who aren't old is fucked up. To be clear, I would still judge it based on, yeah, but is your medical thing related to this or not? Because like I said, yeah. I have medical shit. It's just not related to this in particular. Um, you know, but if it was like she has asthma or something, I'd be like, yeah, it's fucked up that you, you know, you had to like, you know, whatever, but like you, sh you should be able to get it. I would, you're right. I would feel differently about it if she had a, a serious underlying condition that was related to being like more likely than most to die from COVID. I would, I would feel differently about her, about her gaming the system if that was the case for sure. Yeah, and I think, I think many people would too, but that's yeah. not the case, right? Yeah. So her only yeah. thing was, but I'm an educator because I'm an instructor for this spin class. And so it's pitting us against one another in a way that feels very uncomfortable. Yes, I am hating this. Trying <sighs> It's horrible because we're just trying to say, like, we should all have access to it. Mm -hmm. And because we're trying to be very deliberate and intentional about making sure that the most vulnerable get it first, it's biting us in the ass, you know, because basically we're saying everybody line up for food. 
And those of you who can't stand in this line for food or who are incredibly hungry and you might pass out if you don't eat soon enough, please come to the front of the line. And this, don't worry, everybody. It's all going to be okay because we have enough food for everyone. But the problem is we don't have enough food for everyone. There's no guarantee that there's enough food for everyone. So when we try and change who's in the line based on need first, we are now, you know, hurting each other because we don't have faith that there will actually be enough for everyone in the end or that we'll get it with enough time that we won't die while we're waiting for the vaccine. Yeah. So what would you do? What would you do differently? I mean, you just may break the patent. (laughs) break the patent and start making more medicine, you know, like that's part of the problem is they're not, they don't have manufacturing scaled up adequately because they're letting these corporations continue to have these patents, you know, like, fuck them. You just, you just, you just hit on it. So let's go back to my analogy of there's a buffet line. There's (laughs) enough food for everyone, right? Like, because we are only letting this chef, give out the rice and we're only letting this chef pass out the chicken, the line's going to go really slow and they might decide, Oh, we're all out and I can't make any more. And so what you're saying is because there are patents and that means ownership over the formula for this medication, we cannot say, Hey, all you other companies and factories that could make this medicine. You can't make it so that we could actually have enough food or vaccine for everyone because it's a proprietary issue. This is a financial issue for these pharmacies. So unlike, you know, we keep doing these comparisons. You see it on the news. Like when, mm-hmm. we, when have we done this before historically? And what was it like? And people will reference the polio vaccine. Yeah. Well, the difference between the polio vaccine and this vaccine, while there are many at the heart of it, the polio vaccine did not have a patent. It was owned by the people. It was a free patent. And so we could manufacture it at levels where it isn't just one buffet line. There are several buffet lines and there's going to be enough for everyone because we have capacity. But because these have patents, the Moderna patent, the Pfizer patent, only Moderna factories and only Pfizer factories can make this medicine. Yep. And here's the thing. They can still keep giving these corporations fuck tons of money, like just because other people could start making it, the, the government could still keep fucking if the if their concern is like corporate profit shit, you can keep paying those companies hand over fist, whatever. But also you need to expand the capacity. Just fucking do it. I mean, I think, you know, but again, like one of the things that's also just been bonkers to me is that, you know, we haven't been able to get our PPE supply to be adequate still, um, which is a completely different supply chain than drug supply chain. And, um, you know, like it's not gonna fix the problem of schools because like as much as people pretend, like, no, sorry, kids are not gonna be able to refrain from drinking water or eating food for eight hours. Like that's just not like this whole, I I have a lot of arguments with parents and about how the school situation is ridiculous. Um, but, uh, but like for those of us who maybe have to just go in for a particular medical appointment sometimes, like, yeah, I can keep that N95 duct tape to my face, like a hundred percent securely for a couple hours. I want to be able to go and not like risk my life to 
go get medical care, you know? And there are people I know who have to work in offices who have done the crazy thing of keeping their N95 on their face for like five, six hours straight, no drinking, no eating until they were able to get back outside, you know, and then go back in again. Like people are being forced to work in offices and they're wearing completely bullshit PPE and we know it. And like, they haven't men and, 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 and all these K95 masks that uh, are not, they've been testing them and they're not consistent. KN95 masks are frequently um, fake, you know, they're fake and then they don't actually work properly. And um, sometimes stuff will be indistinguishable from each other. You can't just be like, oh, this is like, you know, when you're like, yeah, that's not really a Gucci bag. Like with KN95 masks, it's not necessarily as clear as like your fake Gucci bag. Stop it. Shut up. I just bought a bunch of KN95 masks. I waited for them to get lower in their price. I bought some that were like ridiculously cheap. And it never occurred to me, maybe these ones aren't legit. Yeah, because we haven't had a functioning Federal Trade Commission since Trump was in office. And while we do have one now, like there's, you know, a capacity and delay stuff. I, I think I've seen people suggest that kind of doing the candle test, as it's called, with a mask on can help you determine whether how how good of a job your, your mask is doing. Um, so I recently ordered some online from a website that was just suggested to me as being trustworthy, but I don't trust anything. Excuse me. Bless you. It's gonna happen a third time. Um, I'm gonna try to do like the. I'm gonna try to do the. Uh, try to blow up, put it, put it on. Try to blow out a candle and see how much of a difference it makes. And you know, because like it's just getting people real masks is a completely different supply chain than the drug one. So like, can, you need to be firing on, on all on on all cylinders. I see people just running around with the shittiest masks falling off their faces left and right. You know. Wait a minute. And, How cl- Where is your KN95 mask and do you have a candle? I'll go get mine. Should we do this right now? I don't think that's a good, I don't think it's going to be for good audio. <laughs> Frankly. <laughs> Who cares about the audio? I mean, I just, I want us to see, like, I could even just put a pause right now. You try it. I try it. And we come back and share what happened. I, 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 I don't have the bandwidth to deal with this right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I need to, but like, because as soon as you said it, I was like, right, the candle test. I was like, I'm going to go do that right now. Um, do the, I've never I'm, done it. I mean to. I feel so stupid, but like I got to do it. Uh, for these. Yeah. OK, well, I'm going to start to do it. And that was one of the things that I heard of, the, uh, you know, ever since the new administration, the Biden-Harris administration took over, I started hearing like, yeah. And now we're going to start to put ratings on masks at some point so that, you know, which one you should wear given what situation, right? You're walking around your neighborhood, wear this one. You're going inside an office or inside a hospital Mm -hmm. with a lot of people, wear this one. You're going to be over here, wear this one, right? Like it's, it's, it's striking to me that like, you know, basically folks are getting whatever masks they can make, whatever masks they can afford, whatever masks they have access to. And you tell me what you're seeing in New York when you do happen to leave home, I go for these small walks um, around my house uh, every other day, and I can't tell you how many times I've seen masks, paper masks thrown on the ground, cloth Mm -hmm. masks thrown on the ground. It's like medical waste is just all over the ground. 
Do you see that in New York? Oh, yeah, medical. Oh, yes. But medical waste on the ground in New York isn't particular to COVID, but there's definitely more medical waste on the ground during COVID <laughs> than normal. That is true. Although less probably than there was back when they were finding syringes on the beaches back in the in the 80s. But um, but yeah, yeah it's yeah. different I than mean, a syringe. Yes. It is. But, you know, but it's also sort of like there's guidance that it wouldn't even make sense. They'd be Everybody's like, oh, well, surgical masks are better than fabric masks. And I'm like, except... Have you seen the way people wear their surgical masks? They're slipping. They're not like actually covering their face. They're slipping and sliding their ears. Their ear loops are all stretched out. They're not bending the nose bridge to fit their nose. I think a properly fitted multi-layer fabric mask is probably better than a procedure mask that is not supposed to be worn multiple times and is yeah, like the procedure not actually mask fitting your wear, face. Like people wear it like it's a tissue that they're just like yes. laying across their face. Like there are ridges there so that you pull it down so that it completely goes underneath yeah. your chin and you need to use the nose clamp so that it covers up this area. Yeah. Like these are clearly people who are wearing a mask because they quote have to, not because they want to and see any benefit from it. They're just like, the benefit is that I get to go to this place that tells me I need a mask. You know, it's like saying no shoes, no shirt, no service, and you have shoes on, but they're not laced and the shoelaces are everywhere and they're not even the right size. You're like, you know, yeah. you're just kind of like tiptoeing in them because they <laughs> yeah, don't really yeah. fit. It's like if we did that, exactly. That's the kind of way that people are wearing masks. And, you know, but I also, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe my fit fabric masks that have multiple layers that fit my face right. Maybe those aren't as good as if I was properly wearing a procedure mask. I don't know. And that's fucked well, up that I'm expected to figure this out myself. Right. 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 There's that. And, and you've heard the latest, right? You're not even supposed to wear one anymore. You're supposed yep. to wear two. But they're saying you can wear one to just go on a walk outside. So that's that's good. So then because, when do you wear two? Well, I, if when I um, when I eventually make a decision to go to the doctors, although I, I will break out my lone N95 for that, even though this is fun. I can't see with an N95 on because I can't wear it with my glasses and my vision's real bad. So that's going to be like, where am I? Are you over there? I hope I, you can see me like I know. I mean, you're like, why? This is like ridiculousness. But um, but if I didn't have an N95, I would I would wear 50 masks at once when I go into the doctors. You know, I just I just keep hoping that I'll get the shot. But now I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to have to just go into the doctor's office, even though I know people who've gotten sick from the doctor's office. You know, this moment where, you know, in the last few minutes, we've talked about the most marginalized community members um, dying not just getting COVID, but dying from it. Mm -hmm. And then being in, being in work positions where they are most exposed and in areas that could cause the most harm to them. And then when it comes to the vaccine, they are not able to access it. It reminds me um, of like a different way of trying to eradicate communities and populations. Yeah. And, you know, like instead of actively harming people, we are just actively not helping them. That's the point um, with the whole prison situation. Like, it's very clear what's going on is they're hoping that prisoners die so they don't have to take care of them. And they'll just fill it up with more people because obviously that's the business model. But um, the death rate from COVID in prisons is 50 percent higher than, else, than elsewhere. 
and they don't treat people. And um, it's definitely deliberate. And then with the Trump administration, they basically did admit that they were letting COVID go because they thought it was going to only kill black and brown people in New York and stuff, basically. So, what do you mean? This was like proven. Yeah, like there was like records of it that came out where people like where they were saying like, oh, we should just downplay this. It's not going to affect our voters anyway. Oh, so that the was from- code of our voters was not uh, yes. white people. Yeah, basically. So that was the conversation that was coming out of the White House in like March, basically, was like, mm-hmm. oh, we shouldn't actually put effort into addressing this because it's not going to hurt our people. It's going to only, you know, hurt those people who don't vote for us. And then we have, you know, since the last time we spoke, the insurrection of January 6th, that as of right now, a lifetime, yeah, (laughs) that as of right now, this week is the beginning of, you know, finalizing, uh, you know, uh, defense teams and lawyering up. Um, This week, we have the introduction of an eight 80 page document of this is why Trump should be impeached a second time uh, from the prosecution team and uh, Trump's defense team uh, submitted a 14 page to counter that 80 page document. And apparently the 14 pages of why I shouldn't be impeached was also riddled with spelling errors and grammatical (laughs) errors and all kinds of, of funness. So we are in our second uh, impeachment hearing. And at the same time, we also have happening this week that the Republican Party is imploding, but only in a patriarchal way in that they're just fighting over the two ladies uh, in the Republican Party who are the most vocal about either supporting Trump or calling out Trump. Um, and the men in the Republican Party who were all part of the insurrection planning and plotting are nowhere to be seen in terms of being held accountable. Um, What are your thoughts on those political things happening this week? Yeah, it's um, crazy. And what is making me most angry, I can't say what's making me most angry. Everything's making me most angry. Um, One of the things I'm frustrated is that they're trying to like hurt Ilhan Omar like, like, well, if you're going to indict Marjorie Taylor Greene, then we're going to say you should get rid of this progressive legislator because we're racist. Like, no They've reason. been comparing those two? Yeah, the Republican, uh, the, the, the minority leader or whatever is like, well, if you want us to get rid of M- what, Marjorie Taylor Greene or whatever the fuck, then you have to get rid of Ilhan Omar. Like, for literally no reason. It's like, no... This isn't about, quote unquote, she's conservative. This is about she tried to kill her coworkers. <laughs> like, oh it's not the God. same as she has unpopular opinions. Um, so that's such a piece of complete false equivalency. Poor Elhan, she deserves everything. And like, they just, she just gets shot on. It's terrible. Um, and like, oh yeah, Kyle Rittenhouse, you know, he like shot, Black Lives Matter protesters. He 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 broke his he broke his bail, you know. And I'm not like supposed to be for cash bail because then I'm a bad leftist. But like, you know, of course <laughs> he got cash bail and he got out and he and he's like jumped town. Good God, I mean the thing is like any of the um, policy changes that they make that look like they're going to be about cracking down on right wing terrorism are all just gonna be used against progressives and the left and black people and people of color. Like that's just what always happens. 
Um, and so it's frustrating to hear like, we need a new anti-domestic terrorism bill when like, that's only going to be used against my friends. That's never going to be used against, you know, like actual terrorists. Because, you know, I'm thinking back to how they treated us after us, meaning people who protested against Bush during, you know, the Bush wars. You know, they, I, I've been spied on by the NYPD and the CIA and the FBI, like for literally no reason. I'm very lucky. I've never had to deal with like them actively trying to ruin my life in particular, but I'm sure that it's happened to many other people. Um, and it's like, they're never going to use these tools against the right wing. They're only going to use these against progressives. So like, I, it's really, I caution against trying to expand the powers of uh, the government's like anti-terrorism stuff because of the, because of what happened. Cause they're never, it's never going to be equitable. It's never going to be equitable. What we need to do is to keep pushing for all those folks to lose their jobs, for them to so suffer other kinds of social consequences and like, you know, like, okay, like use the legal framework you have, like, but, you know, dealing with the court system isn't fun. You know, it's not like those people who are, you know, even if they've been released, like there's still, still stressful shit that eats up your life and your time, but you can't keep passing these laws against people for political ideals. It's just not gonna, I mean, if you could use it and it wouldn't be used against activists on, then that would be fine, but that's just not true. It's just always has been. So our, what I'm hearing from you, and let me see if I'm capturing this right. You know, we've been hearing a lot of folks since the January 6th insurgents saying and, and naming and framing these individuals as domestic terrorists. And then you had people on the left saying, please don't call them, particularly Muslim folks on the left saying, please don't use the term domestic terrorist or terrorism, because that actually gets used against us. And mm -hmm. to your point, right, like it was used against us at being politically active post 9-11. Mm -hmm. If you looked a certain way, if you, you know, had relationships uh, that connected in a particular way, you were deemed as the same. Um, and so please be, be cautious and maybe don't use this. And yet, on the other hand, like, well, how do we define and different differentiate, you know, what went on this. They weren't just protesting. They nope. weren't just disobeying laws. They were trying to take over the government and With have a, a violent coup. coup. Yeah. Yeah. I, and they were trying to kill people. I'm, I, I am sympathetic to the people who say that we shouldn't call it terrorism for the reasons you describe. I have a hard time not calling it that because that is what they are. And it feels like what's the word? It's sort of like newspeak to not use that word. I'm strictly right. saying that we shouldn't be pushing for expanded government power against terrorism. They have plenty of, they can already do anything they want. The state just chooses to not use that against white people who are on the right. Like right. they have all the power they need. Do not give them more power. I'm, I am very sympathetic to, especially Muslim activists who say we shouldn't call it terrorism because that immediately calls into mind these racist and anti-Muslim tropes and it will be used against us. But I'm just like, right. yeah, but if you look at the law, they are terrorists. So I don't know. I don't know. It's a just violent yeah. right-wing supremacist coup people. That's a long sentence, but yeah, they tried to have a coup. I, <laughs> I'm willing to I, learn to say it all. <laughs> I, I, um, I appreciate the people who've been referring to it as the dumb coup. And as people have often said, the problem with the dumb coup is it's often followed up by a non-dumb coup. Um, mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And so I was definitely struggling with a lot of depression around that, you know, like the fear that what's going to happen and it's going to happen again. But, you know, part of me never thought we'd be in the moment where we'd have Trump out of the presidency. Like I, there were those, those times where you're like, oh, my God, he's going to be like president for life, Donald Trump, you know. Um, yeah. Do you feel any different now that we have new leadership in in the state? I do, but it kind of comes and goes. And in New York City, we're about to enter the craziest election cycle of my lifetime. And I feel very overwhelmed at how much there is to do, but also very inspired. We have amazing people running for city council. It's like just, but there's also like a thousand of them and I have to interview them all for part of my organization's endorsement process. Aren't you also um, about to pick a new mayor in New York? We are, that too. And there are is a clown car worth of mayoral candidates, but there's really only a handful that are actually like worth interviewing. So that makes it a little bit less crazy. And, and currently in the race are like MSNBC political pundits, uh, former uh, presidential candidates. Uh, mm-hmm. Who else? <laughs> what am I missing New York here? Comp, new York comptroller, Scott Stringer, who is very qualified. Um and, uh, you know, yeah, there's it's 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 a weird situation um, to be clear. I mean, Maya Wiley, a.k.a. MSNBC commentator, Maya Wiley is is totally a qualified, legitimate option, actually, as opposed to Andrew Yang, who is not and needs to go the fuck away. But um, and but ran Maya for Wiley president. Is, yeah, and ran for president. Exactly. But uh, but Maya Wiley is totally a legit option. I mean, I could I could conceive of ending up endorsing her. Maybe uh, we'll see. But she's a legit option. Um but yeah, but I not mean, the, um, not the Yang, not the Yang nope. Yang, who nope. currently is is co- is uh, you know tested positive with COVID and as of course uh, he's been doing in person campaign events. That's why <laughs> he has COVID because he's been doing in person campaign events. That's why and just, not like, double masking. I mean, maybe it wouldn't even be enough. You know, that's the thing we don't know right. with this new strains right. of COVID. I I have there's a couple there's a candidate who I, I love who's running for local office in the primary. Well, actually, there's there's two candidates who I love who are running for local office in the primary who both have gotten COVID recently. And I'm like, well, yeah, you like are out talking with people and like they all everybody went up to Hunts Point to go stand in solidarity with the workers on strike there. But like people are going to get sick from that. You know what I mean? And it kills me because on the one hand, I'm like looking at Andrew Yang being like, well, yeah, of course you got COVID. You've been doing in-person events. And I'm looking at like these other, like these, you know, women of color candidates who I really like being like, I'm so, it's so terrible that you got COVID, but like you totally got that from doing campaigning and I feel terrible for you, but it's like, I, I, yeah. my emotional reaction is, is intellectually, my emotional reaction is intellectually inconsistent. Basically. Well, so we've been talking for almost an hour now about new COVID strains, mm-hmm. about uh, new government leaderships. Um, and what I am interested to hear more about before I let you go is what are the new responses to, um, you know, the new government. We have new responses to the new COVID strains. That was the double masking and, you know, maybe even trying to change up what's happening with the vaccine rollout. Um, and the new, the new government administration, like I'm, I'm, it's only been two weeks, but hmm. where, where is our new then response 
to pushing the government um, to do more. You know, I feel like we have been taking somewhat of a break, um, a break well earned to recharge um, in celebration that, you know, the election turnout and the work, the hard work of people on the ground turning folks out for for the election. Um, and I know you were a part of that, too, like super excited that 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 happened and that the win did happen where we were able to get out Trump. But now what's happening, there was an interesting article that came out a couple of weeks ago in the New York Times that had many folks that you and I know, friends of ours, co-workers of ours, talking about how they were all on a on a Zoom phone call um, before January 6th, where they all decided, like, look, we think some things are going to go down. We're not going to show up. We're not going to be there, you know, like let them fall on their own sword, so to speak. Um, and I'm just wondering, like, where where is the turn up again and the turnout again for pushing the current administration on different issues? Is it mm -hmm. already happening? Is it just not happening out on the streets right now? Is this because it's the winter? Should we expect something to really happen in the spring if we yes. don't have the number of vaccines that we know is, are needed? We will absolutely see an increase in protest activity in the spring because that is by nature what humans do. It also will be safer. Um, mm -hmm. But um, there will be an increase in the spring. Like that's just like clockwork. Like that's how humans deal with things. There is stuff happening now, um, but like it's complicated. You know, there's the Amazon fights are pretty active right now. I mean, not the Amazon as in the global south, but the Amazon as in like those motherfuckers, you know, Be the Bezos boxes and that come to you with, a, with yes. a smile. Yeah, they're trying so to unionize. I mean, we're they having are. a are. It's exciting. So that's all happening. But there's also been just there's been there's been like local actions and stuff like that. There is stuff that's happening, but it's certainly not at the scale that we were having before. Um, you know, I I uh, ICE is still deporting people, and I I to be clear, I am still mm. seeing people like doing all kinds of like, what the fuck is this call to action stuff? But it's not like in the streets right now. Um, but I was, you know, I was just posting like yesterday about how ICE is literally not listening to Biden, which is just proof that ICE can't and should not exist, period. Be like, okay, but we gave them a week, Biden. They didn't listen to you. Now will you believe me when I say you must abolish ICE? Um, so I, hopefully that will be, you know, one of the big things that we push for. I do want to say we have stopped a number of really bad appointments from happening from the Biden mm -hmm. folks. Um, there's like. been others that have gone through that are also bad, but like Rahm Emanuel as ambassador to China is just being floated and not even for sure. And an ambassadorship is way less powerful than all the things they were talking about giving him before. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. as I joked about Rahm Emanuel, you know, the thing he has in common with the Chinese government is they both really like covering up the, the politically sanctioned killings of my marginalized people. I'm wow. sure we'll get along great. Um, but uh, but, you know, we kept Rahm from getting like a, a, an actual powerful, you know, policy position. Um, we were really worried about basically uber lobbyists becoming like high ranking people in the Justice Department. Um, like lobbyists for Uber, I mean, and like and like people who are Amazon lobbyists lobby uh, regulating Amazon. And so far, we've been able to slow down a lot of that. I think we are going to it's going to be, you know, and then there have been some people who've gotten in who are great. Like the OSHA guy is like he's like our OSHA guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's going to be really exciting, actually. But yeah, um, especially I, right I, now during this time. Exactly. OSHA meaning um, 
the Occupational uh, Safety Hazard Safety and Health, yes, administration. Mm-hmm. Yes, the workplace safety stuff. So like the right guy is in charge of that. That's fabulous. But um, we have been able to stop some of the worst names getting floated for things, but there's definitely other folks who've gotten through who are not, you know. But hey, so far the FTC just fined uh, Amazon an, an inadequate amount of money, but did did find Amazon $61 million for stealing workers' tips. Nice. Nice. That's only one week, you know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, yeah, it's a start. Yeah, give it's give a us start. a minute. Give us a minute. It's a start. So so here we are um, at a point of wrapping things up. Um, I know that one of the the reasons that I, you know, uh, got to meet you and come to know you and work with you is our shared love and appreciation and um, just wanting to dig into it of all things pop culture, particularly around, you know, comics and, um, you know, superhero sort of, you know, narratives and themes. And I have to say that Disney Plus has been delivering for me all COVID year between mm. The Mandalorian and right now WandaVision. And, oh, you know, yeah. I was I was getting sad that all the Marvel movies had kind of like wrapped up in a tight, you know, nice little bow after so many years and that there were some other things coming out. But I was, you know, waiting to see what this next generation of superheroes is going to be. But WandaVision is this like storyline that connects the movies and the gaps of the movies, much like The Mandalorian is coming in and and putting in some, you know, connective tissue between the different Star Wars trilogy and, you know, franchise um, stories go. And I have just been in love with what is happening in WandaVision in particular, yeah. because it plays on so many different pop culture narratives. Um, and there's people of color in it. And there's <laughs> like all kinds of things. Of course, again, my biggest issue with any of these things is that the heroes are somehow always connected to law enforcement agencies. Um, yeah. And that's that's always like super complicated for me. And so I'm just wondering, you know, what, this has been a time capsule year for us to talk to one another, to check in every so months during this pandemic year about how life is and our noticings, you from New York, me from Nevada and the West Coast. And I'm just wondering, what do you? What are some last things that you want to make sure either because you're going to listen to this again someday in the future and need to be reminded that you've gone through some shit already and this is how you got through it. Like, what do you want to remind yourself of or remind others who might might have things in common with you about how you made it through this year and all the things that happened in it that you don't want to forget. What do you want to put in this time capsule of a podcast about what you've seen and your experiences? We got down the fireworks. We've got down, you know, organizing in the streets. We've got, you know, stuff about masks hmm. and and health and all these different kinds of things. But what are we missing or what do you want to just like really put a finer highlight and circle around? I am so like, of course you love WandaVision. It's like the most Felicia show. I'm really excited that <laughs> we'll get to talk about this at some point. Um, I I have, um, I have, I'm like just fully like living when it comes to like my own pop culture fandoms. I'm like fully living in the dual world of Star Trek and the X-Men exclusively right now. So it's like, <laughs> I, it's like coloring my ability to have as much focus and interest in 
WandaVision and in like Mandalorian stuff, to be honest, it's very interesting that it's just like <laughs> the two things you mentioned, I'm like, I do care about those things, but I don't care about them as much as I care about the X-Men comics right now. And like rewatching Deep Space Nine stuff from like the 90s. I've, I've, I've launched a new Deep Space Nine podcast called Deep Space Dive. And as I've pointed out to you, because I tried to recruit you into watching yes. Deep Space Nine, yes. I was like, this is the best fucking science fiction. Good guy. You know, it, re- it reminds me of the 90s where you had to decide, did you think Northern California or Southern California was like the more down and like left, you know, like community. <laughs> and so it, I feel very much so this year that there's been a lot of like, are you Star Wars or are you Star Trek? And I've just been like, yo, I don't, ah, this is, I can't, this is so hard. So like, I... It feels very similar to me. So yes, I haven't I haven't jumped into the Star Trek world yet because I'm still so dedicated over here. A lot of I hear you so much. But start start, Deep Space Nine is so good. Okay. Anyway, (laughs) then you can come on my podcast. If you watch the show, then you can come on my podcast to talk about Deep Space Nine. Um uh I'm sorry though, I lost the second half of the question because I just have lots of feelings about how good the current X-Men comics are right now. Um, it's just, just amazing. Is is that what you want to remember? Is that what you want to remember about this moment that like sci-fi and pop culture and other worlds and other, you know, sort of like out of this world narratives are, are, are what still got you through this moment, even as hard as it's been. No, you know, actually, no. The thing that actually has gotten me through this moment is I have through the magic of like Twitter, basically been exposed to the amazing work of young activists in New York who are just knocking my socks off constantly. Um, They are just developing such innovative and creative uses of technology. They're into such wonderful nerdy tools and ideas and they're such gifted communicators and they have so much energy because they're not old and decrepit like me. And I'm just like so inspired by them. They they really make me very happy. And some of them even think I'm kind of okay. And that makes me happy too. <laughs> so that, that next generation, they're just like fucking amazing. And does that, does that give you hope looking Absolutely. to Absolutely. looking to the next generation to lead and getting yes. behind them? That's what yeah. got you through this year. Absolutely. And just supporting them, giving them platforms, trying to help them get like better paying work and like telling people to listen to them and, I mean, I, 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 you know, we, I organized Roots Camp Conference and um, a number of the panels that I put together were specifically because I wanted people to hear about the amazing things that these young folks were doing. And in both of those cases, we had like big turnout to, for folks to listen to them. And it made me very happy to be able to help them, you know, get their work elevated like that because it's really exciting and important. Do you think it's And important? they understand the importance of like pop culture and organizing, like they get all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's important to when times are really, really tough and challenging to let the youth lead and be heard much louder than anyone else? I don't know if I understand. Like, you know, when we first started this podcast, I asked you and everyone else involved, what does this moment remind you of? Have you been through a moment like this before? Many folks talked about 9-11. Um, you talked about 9-11 and, and what it was like in New York and how, you know, over time we got less and less about it looking like that. But even mm-hmm. now today we started talking about 
post 9-11 and the framing of terrorism and the expansion of, you know, government powers that came from that moment. And we are here again talking about the expansion of powers and not so much about COVID, but about the insurrection. And I think one of the things that's been interesting over this last year is I thought this was going to be a time capsule just for COVID, as if somehow when Mm. a pandemic comes into play, that's the only thing that's on people's minds. But everything still goes on. And so, of course, you know, if you have a change in power and elections going on, because those don't stop just because there's a pandemic, all the old things are just going to keep happening. And so old issues are going to resurface, like expanding government powers, like, you know, state sanctioned violence, like policing, like uprisings of this kind. So this has been a year about what happened during this first year of the pandemic, but it hasn't been just about the pandemic because so many other things have happened subsequently. And so I'm, I'm wondering as you're talking about like the youth and like listening to them and letting them lead and how much hope, you know, and, and letting them have such big platforms and voices to share their opinions, their thoughts, their experiences. And I ask like, is that then your touch tone as things keep you know, happening in the future. Is Mm -hmm. your go-to going to be, you know, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to look to the youth. What do they want? What do you think? What are your experiences? That's, that's how I'm going to get through this moment because you're, you're who matters right now. Yeah, that sounds really real. And I feel so bad that they're having the time that they should be spending, like going to clubs and concerts and like partying and shit. And they can't do that right now. (laughs) They'll never get that time back. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I wonder if we've gotten more energy from them because they can't do the other things they're supposed to be able to do right now as young people. But Well, you know, that reminds me of the latest episode of WandaVision. Um, as it's trying to be this connective tissue between the films, at the end of, you know, sort of the last few Marvel movies, there was this evil you know, tyrannical character, this villain who collects all these stones and they become omni, you know, present and they have all these powers, more powers than any of the superheroes powers collectively. And he is able to wipe out half the population on earth. And then somehow, you know, the superheroes find a way to turn back time and they're able to prevent him from getting this power. And all the people who were missing and who died came back to life, but three years later. Mm. And in that three-year time, loved ones had died. Five years. Yeah. In that time, five years, sorry, thank you for the correction. Mm -hmm. Loved ones had died. People had come and gone. Relationships had ended. People moved on. And so we're talking right now about the current youth across the globe and in the United States and the things that they won't get back, those concerts, those events, those graduations, those proms, those rites of of passage that are dependent upon an experiential moment that they couldn't have because of the pandemic. Do you think that, you know, with vaccines and with other things, there will be a moment where we can get those things back? Or is it like this episode of WandaVision where, no, they're gone. You're back. You're still here. But not everybody is still here with you. Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I think that for one thing, the virus is going to keep floating around and mutating. And like, I I don't know how, how, how long it'll be till people can do things without masks and stuff like that, you know? I don't know, but I definitely like at some point in time, I will be at another concert, you know, (laughs) at some point in time. Um, 
we'll be able to see other people. Um, I think that's a really cool parallel that you're drawing. I, it's very apt, very apt. And they couldn't have known it when they planned it, you know? Nope. And I'd like to get back to going to be able to do conferences in person like we do, you know? Yeah. That'll be really big as well. Do you think that that can happen? Like, do you anticipate a moment where with masks, with vaccines, with whatever, like we would, we would be in conferences together again? Yeah. But I just think it's going to be longer than people think it's going to be. Yeah. How much longer? Mm, 2022. Yeah. I think that's the soonest. Yeah. Great system we've got here. Highly endorsed. (laughs) And that's how we will end it, my friends. (laughs) Great system we've got here. Highly endorsed. (laughs) Uh, It's been lovely talking with you as always. Thank you. You've been listening to Been There, Done That, your pandemic survival podcast sponsored by the New Economy Coalition, a membership-based network representing the solidarity economy movement in the United States. Visit NEC at neweconomy.net. Until next time, I'm your host, Felicia Perez. Stay well and stay human.